my friends. Hey, welcome to episode 62. Today, we've got some more work to do. Okay, so here's what you need to know. We're talking about faith and what on earth happens because we've all seen it when we're doing life with someone or we're discipling someone or even if from a distance, we've seen someone who loves Jesus, God does big things in their life. And then I don't know, give it some time. And that faith, which was just glorious to watch, it petters out. What happens? That's what we're talking about today. But here's the catch. If you didn't catch last week's episode, number 61, I'm not sure how much of this is going to be helpful or make sense. So my encouragement would be stop here, go back one, go to 61, because it's the groundwork, it's the foundation, it's actually literally the first half of this thing we're going to be talking about. So do that for the rest of us. Let's go. You're listening to the Leader Lab podcast, a podcast that inspires women to step up and step out in leadership. To fulfill their God-given callings. My name is Andy Bruce and I'm so passionate about helping women develop their character and understand their callings that I went out and got a doctorate in leadership. Now I'm investing in and partnering with women leaders just like you who love Jesus and raise their hand saying, God, if you're looking for someone to use, I'm right here. So let's talk about how. How? How do we step into what that looks like? So a friend who listens, she was like, Andy, on the podcast, I am digging it. That's great. But I wish that you would take one or two minutes and just catch us up with what's happening. And I'm like, happening with what? She said, in your personal life. So to my great friend, guess what? That's what I'm doing. So I'm going to do a two minute catch up of, I don't know, kind of some, actually, it's been a really cool time. Last week, If you might remember, I don't know if you do or not, but I got an opportunity to go teach some Bible classes to the students at Liberty University. Oh my goodness, I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed myself. The poor woman who leads the whole thing, she called uh, the day before I was supposed to go and she's like, I'm in serious excruciating pain from some teeth issues. Got to do oral surgery. And I said, I, I'm with you. Boy, do I empathize. Instead of canceling classes, which really means when you are in higher ed, replacing what would be in-person classes with um, extra assignments, which means extra grading and trying to post those things, especially when you're in so much pain. I'm like, Monica, I gotcha. Just go. I'll do your classes for you. And so I got to teach six classes in two days. Oh my goodness, these chicks are hungry. They know the word of God. They want to not just know, they want to understand the connections that they made when I taught on Phoebe and on what we're going to be talking about today and what we talked about last week and some other women's leadership principles and beliefs and where we get it wrong and right. Uh, Oh my goodness, just so much fun. Last week was also my birthday. So a bunch of us, I I don't know about a bunch, like maybe 10, 15 friends and family members, we went to good old fashioned Golden Corral. So super fancy. A friend whose kid came up to me at church. She's like, Miss Andy, I threw up after eating Golden Corral at your birthday. So that might be a little PSA right there. Then my husband and I, we jumped out of town to Richmond for the night. Just Friday, Saturday, we got a hotel, shopped, went to a fancy mall, looked at the price tags in a store. I, you know, I was in the clearance corner, looked at the price on the shirt. I was like, oh, that's a cute shirt. $49.99. Then I was like, no, looked at another shirt, $54.99. So that's discouraging. It's not very fun to spend that much money on one shirt that you kind of like, you know. So we did Goodwill shopping like the rest of the time. Super fun. That's what's been happening. Today, we're going to jump in. We're talking about, in my opinion, gosh, I just keep going back to this theory that I'll explain in a moment. 
And I keep thinking this is eye-opening. This is blowing my mind because of a couple reasons. One is my initial question was, where am I? And my faith development just as a person, as a leader, as a person who loves God and almost every day is like, God, I'm raising my hand. If you're looking to use somebody, I want to be a woman who's found faithful to do what you say. So what are you saying? And I was wondering like a year and a half ago, where am I in my own personal development? Like what's coming next? Am I, is is the path that I'm on and the growth and development I have experienced, is this normal? So that's kind of what got me ticking. Then I have a candidate that I get to chair his dissertation. In other words, I get to read lots and lots and lots of his work. And this theory that we're going to be talking about, it's what is undergirding his dissertation study. He's going to be doing some uh, experimental work to understand what's happening on a Bible college campus in terms of students, Bible college students who are young, like 18 to 24 years old. And he's looking at the level of critical thinking that they have or not. And on a Bible college campus, if there is critical thinking, how does that impact their faith? But more importantly, if there's not critical thinking, how does that impact the spiritual faith of these young people? We'll get into that, but here's what it means probably to you and I. We've been there. We've been leading and loving and mentoring and discipling or doing life with uh, people who are women and they come to Jesus or they have this moment where they're like, okay, now I'm really all in. And we see them growing and growing and excited and we're excited and we're learning from them. And eventually, have you noticed, there's just often this plateau where it's almost like growth happened and now we just maintain the plateau of growth that formerly happened. You know what I mean? For me, I've seen this, I don't know how many times, like it feels more normal for a spiritual plateau to happen than for a progression of growth to happen. And I think that recognition is what made me wonder, like, where am I? Am I a plateauer? Is that just normal? I don't buy it. And actually, no, I don't think it's supposed to happen. So when I was reading this guy's stuff and this theory, it's called Fowler's Theory. Fowler was around um, until actually just recently. We would call him a modern theologian because he repackaged old theology for us. And But what he did was he made it relevant for the church today. So there's the modern theologian in him. But his greatest work was this Fowler's Theory of Spiritual Faith Development. It came out in other words, it was published in 1981. That's not a whole long time, but think about it like this. There wasn't a whole lot of technology or access to previous research before the 80s. I mean, there was, but boy, was it highly funded, very difficult, not only to publish, but also to distribute so that other people could access it. But all that began to change in about the 80s, 90s, and certainly in the 2000s because things were just more readily accessible, available, more opportunities to do research and more places that offered PhDs at higher ed institutions. So Fowler enters the scene. Now, just before him, by a couple decades, was some other theories that I know you've heard about. They're the ones that said, here's how humans develop in their physical body. Another theory was, well, here's how human beings, and particularly children, develop cognitively, and here's some stages of that development. And then another person that I bet you would know developed a theory just just after that about the ethical development of human beings from birth all the way to adulthood. So there's a lot of, in the social sciences, these theories, and you got to see if this helps you, a theory in social science, meaning with just normal people, with humans, this theory's purpose is to say, okay, I'm looking at a behavior in a person or a group of people, 
And a theory says, here's our best guess about what's happening behind that behavior. That's all a theory is. So Fowler saw this developmental theory with physical development, cognitive development, ethical development. And he, as a believer, said, well, what's happening spiritually? And how does this build onto those theories? Well, it turns out it builds really, really nicely. So that's what we're going to talk about today is Fowler's theory. Now, I'm going to give you some bullet points, and then we're going to just pick up from where we left off last week. But first, a really quick recap. Fowler says there's a kind of six but there's a pre one, so kind of seven stages to a person's spiritual faith development. Mind you, Fowler would define faith as anything that a person has to construct a belief system in their mind. Okay, so there's this construction, self-construction of a belief system that they buy into enough so that after their beliefs are forming or formed, it actually really influences the way that they live. Now, Fowler would also say this isn't only relegated to Christians, but it could be any belief system. It could be a political belief system. A man, my friend has a strong faith belief system about uh, saving the planet. Lots of it. She's constructed beliefs and it absolutely influences why she lives her life and how she lives her life. So we're going to talk about it in terms of Christian faith development, but it really could be anything. So Feller says that there's six stages, but there's one pre-stage. We're going to call it stage zero. I'm going to walk through really quickly stage zero, one, two, and three that we covered last week in the podcast, but let's just refresh your memories. Stage zero is a baby ages zero to two years old. And the biggie on the baby is that the more there's a reciprocated relationship, a reciprocal relationship with trust and nurturing, the more likely that baby's going to be to have stronger faith, or at least the faith of those around her, or around her who are nurturing her. That's stage zero, not much to write home about because come on, in a one-year-old, there's not a whole lot of faith development. Let's go to stage one. Stage one is for just the next little set of years for that baby. Now that baby's three to seven years old. A key feature of that little stage, remember, okay, so we're talking a four, a five, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old. Here's the key feature regarding faith. There's an intuitive understanding of good and evil. I mean, think about it. The six-year-old knows when to hide because he knows if he's just been real naughty. Uh, that's built in. We know as believers that would come from Genesis 2 where God made man and woman in his image. Therefore, there is this innate intuitive sense of good and evil. There's also this idea in three to seven year olds of fantasy and reality are the same thing. So when we apply that to God, you know, that six-year-old little boy's like, God's a superhero. He could crash and throw cars like the Marvel character in the Marvel movie. There's this inability to distinguish reality from fantasy. Makes sense. Stage two, that kid is now seven to 12 years old. So picture those elementary years. And here's a really important key feature of this stage two faith of this elementary school kid. This child will view God as a parent. There's not the ability to make abstract connections. It's super concrete thought. Therefore, if we have these two things, God is like a parent and concrete thought, particularly when it comes to religious stories, there's this idea that God is going to smite me if I'm bad, or if I'm really good, God's going to do good things for me. Now, and I, I think in typical church settings for this elementary school student, somebody's telling Bible stories, and we tell the Bible stories, the stories that are really powerful, right? Think about Old Testament stories, what often happens, somebody was bad or a group of people was bad and God came and wiped them out. God kills and then put parenthood on top of this God. 
And so we've got to be so careful with what we're teaching kids in stage two who are elementary ages, because I think that we use Bible stories at this age, one, to give certainly biblical understanding through telling stories. Awesome. I could sign up for that at any day of the week. But here's what we do. We often use those types of stories to illustrate ethical behavior. Be good. We use these stories to illustrate morals. You better be good. Okay, God loves it when we obey, and he does. God loves it when we listen for him or talk to him. Those are awesome things. But I think what we forget to do that's really important for this stage, because this kid sees God as a parent, more so than just leaving it at a moralistic level, we need to tell these kids the character of the parent, the character of God. Why on earth does God smite at times? Why is there judgment? What does that say about his character? Where has he been gracious and loving and kind and let those things, not just the moralism of a Bible story or understanding where that is in the Bible or connecting the dots of stories, we've got to focus on the character of God because this age will see God as a parent. And those stories often say God's really good if you're good, or God's really mean if you're mean. Oh, this is just not a true picture. And it can be dangerous to these little kids and their understanding and perceptions of God. So that's what's happening in stage two. Let's move on to stage three, which is where we left off last week. So stage three is going to up the um, age development So now we're talking about kids who are 12 to 18 years old. So picture them, picture in your mind, a 12 year old, you know, that 12 and 13 year old, this maybe lanky kid who's so um, like their limbs are just kind of bobbling all over. There's lots of energy. They look like teenagers, but they kind of still behave like kids. That's who we're talking about all the way up to teenagers, 17, 18, maybe even 19 years old. And for them, they look like adults, but they still behave like teenagers because they are, you know. So that's who we're talking about. Lots happening developmentally, we know, in their own belief system and their physical bodies and their interpretation of the world. Because in stage two, those elementary years, those kids are just um, looking around and saying, if that's what my mom believes, then that's what I believe. Totally different in stage three. Oh, by the way, let me say one more quick thing. In stage two, that's the seven to 12 year old stage. Some adults don't move beyond this stage when it comes to their faith. Now, a couple points about that. I wonder if that's a intellectual development issue, but I I hope it is, but I kind of think not. I think that some don't have the cognitive ability to make deeper connections. But I also think that perhaps I wonder if they're in a very legalistic church where there's the culture where you don't think for yourself, you just, you do, and you do it really, uh, really well so that God doesn't get you. I wonder if this represents legalism because there's that, um, strong interpretations of morals are how you win the favor of God with very concrete thinking, meaning not critical thinking. So to me, I wonder, I don't know, I wish that you guys were here to have this conversation, especially those who grew up in a highly legalistic culture of church. And therefore, I wonder if that really stunts an adult's faith development. Some adults don't move beyond stage two. Okay, going back to stage three, sorry for the whiplash. Now we're in stage three, we're 12 to 18 year olds, lots happening. And this person, here's the key feature. This person in uh, stage three easily adopts the religious beliefs of others. We talked about this a whole lot last week, so I'm just going to hit the highlights. Here's some. One is there's spiritual imitation. 
this person is looking to their left and looking to their right and looking at what others who this person thinks loves God, what are they doing? Oh, that's what I do, which is a great place to be. It really reminds me of when Paul was like, imitate me as I imitate God. And that is exactly what happens in this stage. A couple other just things to be aware of in this stage three faith is this person has fear of contradictions between their beliefs and real life because those gaps, those inconsistencies are a threat to to their belief system about God. Here's what I mean. I remember being like, oh man, do I remember this. Being in this age and stage and say a high schooler and recognizing that my friend who also was in the youth group and I think really loved God. Well, that friend started being promiscuous and engaging in sexual activity. And for me, I didn't want to observe that because it, I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know what to make of it. Where I partied on the weekends in high school and just chose really not to think about that because I really genuinely had a desire and a hunger for God, and yet my behavior didn't match up. So here's a couple things to note in this stage. Often that is just going to be how it is. There's not the spiritual maturity to inform the behavior maturity. I could love God all the live long day. In this stage, it's not going to show all the time. It's going to show sometimes, but not all the time because my spiritual maturity is young and immature. My behaviors are also young and immature. So those gaps and inconsistencies of the behavior compared to what a person believes, they're going to show. And let me just tell tell you, they're supposed to show. This is the spiritual development of 12 to 18 year olds. And so what's happening? They're looking to form their own identity. That looks like I'm going to try on this identity for a little bit. Well, that doesn't, I don't know. It's not really me. So I'm going to try on that identity. I'm going to look this way. And it explains going from a sporty look to goth look in like two weeks time. There's a whole lot of identity experimentation Here's one one or two big things about this. This stage three faith of a 12 to 18 year old, okay, who are trying on identities, don't know what to make of their own belief system because they can't explain their own belief system and they really don't know what to do with the gaps and inconsistencies between how they behave or someone else and what they think. Okay, in this stage, a big one is that this group of people in stage three faith has a strong reliance on the church for what do what they believe and how they should behave. This works real well for churches. In fact, most religious institutions work better, quote unquote, work better if the majority of people are in stage three. My question is why? Well, because these people are gonna very obligingly behave and do what the religious leaders want them to do because they're imitating. This stage uh, or religious leaders are going to say, hey, here's what we believe. And people in stage three say, great. And they're going to take notes. And that is what they will believe. They don't trust their own intuition yet to make connections or to criticize. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but to think critically about what they're thinking. Therefore, this makes the church function really easily if people are in stage three. Now, is this good for adults? Of course, they've got to cross these years. They've got to move through stage three. But here's the problem in the church. Oh, like my stomach hurts, a visceral reaction of this. Most adults most of them are in stage three faith. So let me just put this into perspective. My really wonderful friend, she loves God. Oh, it just like comes out. It oozes out of her and she loves women. When I see her, there are regularly groups of women around her because she impacts them. My hunch is she's in stage three faith as a 50, probably 57 year old woman. 
because it makes her uneasy to really question. She doesn't want to see the gaps and the inconsistencies. She would prefer not to see those because she doesn't know what to do with them. Why? Because she knows things of her faith in her mind, but she doesn't have the skills yet to understand why does she know those things? What does the Bible say? And to disagree with even slightly what her pastors tell her, it feels like a sin. It feels so wrong. Isn't it crazy? Most adults are in this stage. And let me just talk about for a minute why. In this stage, uh, we don't really let people ask questions about their faith. We don't. As leaders of the church, it's you and I, people who are influential, people who move others along in their faith a little bit, even just by encouraging, loving, sitting with them, you know, checking up on people, that you're still a leader in the church. When people ask questions, in this stage, they feel like it means that they don't have faith in God. People tell themselves, well, I have questions, but I know I shouldn't ask because then what will people think of me? And remember, what people think of them in stage three, oh, does it matter? Why? How do we know this? Because people in stage three are looking to their left and right. They're doing what they see other people do. And, um, they want acceptance. In other words, they want to be seen probably as more spiritually mature than they really are. And in their minds, this means not asking questions about their faith or about their beliefs. It's too much. I've been around women and I have been a woman where it's been embarrassing to ask questions about why we believe something or, or what the big deal is about this. I remember this happening specifically in a truth group a few years ago. And my question was, why is the blood of Jesus a really big deal? My friends, this was a few years ago. I was over 40 years old asking this question, what's the really big deal about the blood of Christ? And I want you to know, I taught who knows how many uh talks on the blood of Christ and the power of it. But at the heart of it, I was like, I want to know for myself, not what I've been told, not what I was taught in Bible college, not what that teacher and pastor and on and on says. I want to know from my own brain, looking at the word of God, what is really the big deal about the blood of Christ? Now, I wasn't doubting whatsoever that the blood of Christ was a big deal and said, I wanted to know for myself. And here's what was embarrassing about asking this question, what's so big about the blood of Christ, is I kept telling myself and the friends around me, I know I should already know this by now. I know I should understand this. And I do a little bit. I want to know more though. And man, for some reason, we have made asking questions in stage three, like an embarrassment. And instead, there's so much growth that happens in stage three in a person. There's so much growth as there's identity formation and there's construction of beliefs and there's now action behind the beliefs because we're looking left and right to see what we do and we do those things. Man, there's so much growth and development happening here. But you know why so much so many adults say stuck in stage three, they are not permitted and they're not encouraged to ask questions. And so why on earth is that 57 year old or so friend stuck in stage three? I think it's because she and people in stage three are not encouraged to ask questions and they feel foolish. They feel ashamed and embarrassed and like it's disrespectful to the church uh, to ask questions. So if there's the inability to think for themselves in stage three, and yet the religious structure, the church is not encouraging asking questions, well, guess what happens? A person stays stuck in stage three. My friends, this is a big deal. 
And if we're leading small groups of people, an individual person, lots of people, man, oh man, this has so many implications for us. We have to allow our friends those who are looking and growing to ask questions in a really safe way, in a way that that they feel more confident about their questions than embarrassed by them. And so this is super easy to do. It's like, hey, you must have a lot of questions about God. Like, what are they? I have questions about God. If we can be a community that models, I have questions And I'm going to the word of God. I'm going to my faith community. And guess what? I'm even going outside the word of God. Oh, heaven help us, right? And I'm even listening to what the other side of the argument says. Not because I want to go away from the truth, but because I really want to understand. And I think for us as leaders in the church, man, oh man, do we personally need to get way more comfortable asking questions, but we also need to get way better at modeling a very safe place to have questions, talk about things, even weird things. We're going to be okay, but we come back to the word of God and that's how we know we're going to be okay. As we ask each other, hey, I've had this weird question coming. Here's some thoughts I have. Can I just bounce them off you? This is what it looks like to model, 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 so that people, our friends, maybe even us, don't get stuck in stage three because we think that uh, our questions are too uncomfortable and that maybe we're not going to have answers or we're not going to like the answers we have. If you want to know the recipe for an adult getting stuck in a 16-year-old kid's faith, don't let him ask questions. If we wonder why the woman who's been growing and growing and we're super encouraged and others are super encouraged by her faith development and suddenly she plateaus or over time she plateaus, the first thing we ought to do is start looking up. Is she having questions? Is there wrestling happening with her own belief system? Because if the answer is no, I think you might have been able to diagnose what the problem is. And when there's a fear of asking questions, you and I get to shoulder that responsibility in such simple ways by having questions, asking them, you know, doing bouncing ideas and playing with curiosity. This has become, according to Fowler's theory and others around it who have also done research to see the validity of this theory. This is what it comes back to. The inability of safe um, curiosity in stage three is the glass ceiling for adults. And it answers the question of why do we have immature believers making up most of the seats in the church? They don't know how to think critically we've maybe made it an unsafe place to be curious and to use your brain. Um, And so therefore, trite answers about faith and easy surfacey answers are all they have to go on. No wonder they're not growing in their faith because the output of our faith belief system is directly correlated to our belief system, meaning if there's not fruit and growth, it's probably because it could be, because, well, a lot of reasons, but one of them is if there's a stagnant faith belief system, it's going to result in stagnant faith belief outputs or actions or behaviors. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go take big risks. I'm not going to do a big obedience if my faith is kind of shallow in my mind oh, 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 we've got to start modeling curiosity, asking questions. Uh, One way that you'll know a person is in stage three. Oh, I know it. Ah, and it's fun. This isn't a bash. It's just an indicator. If a person is like um, Andy Stanley said, Andy Stanley said, well, Andy Stanley said, well, I was listening to this one talk and Andy Stanley said that 
is just indicative. There's growth happening probably, but it's also key to stage three is they're looking to the left and right of somebody just tell me, how does this work? What's happening? Um, my ministry partner, Melissa Dunn. Oh, I so remember the years, lots of them. And it's supposed to be many years in stage three. It's supposed to be. Uh, Melissa would say, John Piper said, John Piper said, John Piper said, well, I was reading in John Piper, oh, in a Piper book, da, 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 you know what I mean? This is a real indicator of stage three faith. We're just figuring out what do we think and the way that we often, most often figure that out is by listening to the voices that we trust around us. I remember for me, it was um, Woody said, Woody said, Woody said, that's my pastor. And uh, this is supposed to happen. One more quick idea here. If I were to hear this when I was in stage three, I would certainly think, okay, Andy, I hear you. I buy it. I believe it because I see it. Yeah, this there's a logical progression in this theory of faith development. But you know what I'd have said? I can be a bit of a go-getter. Just tell me what I need to do to rush through stage three to get to stage four, right? Just tell me, how do I shortcut a stage? And I got to say, it's impossible. Let me give you a parallel example. My son, Jonah, he's our youngest son. He's super cool and just a pretty fascinating little guy. He's 12 years old. His voice it's so cute. It's adorable. His voice just started barely changing in the last couple of weeks. And um, if I were to tell him, Jonah, listen, by June, which is three months away or so, by June, honey, I want to see leg hair. I want your voice to have dropped a couple, I don't know, octaves, notches, whatever. And I want to see a decent amount of armpit hair on you. Okay. And uh, you know what? Let's shoot for the stars. Let's have your little Adam's apple bump out a little bit too by June. It's laughable. It's mean. It's cruel. Why is it cruel? Because it's impossible for a 12-year-old kid to generate more development than it, it. he's not capable of it. So the same is true for stage three faith. There is no fast track. You just got to do the time of stage three faith. They're just like, I can't be like, I want to see leg hair by June 1st, Jonah. Come on, that's going to be your goal. I want to work toward it. He is incapable of speeding up. I don't know, whatever it is, like hormone, whatever it is. The same is true for people in stage faith. And the danger is when we as leaders expedite the process and here's what it looks like. I want you to behave more mature. What we're saying is be good and have less sin. And when you're in the church building, really demonstrate humility, joy, servanthood, love, spiritual gifting, and all those things. If, if we expect this without the critical thinking and understanding why, and provoking curiosity, we're creating falsies. Uh, and that doesn't work out well for anybody, right? Eventually, they're going to have to, even if we progress them through some leadership, and now they're part of a leadership team in a ministry in our local church or, or whatever, they're going to have to eventually go back and cover the bases that they missed in stage three. So if we attempt to expedite somebody's growth by saying, hey, we want to see leg hair by June, or I want to see you teaching or really moving in your spiritual gift in a way that's going to sidestep the thinking process that goes with it, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying let's do both. Let's do both. And I would way rather slow down instead of, because I've done it, I've pulled somebody, I've pulled lots of somebody's into leadership in stage three before they were spiritually ready. By the way, stage three is a long time. It's years and years. It's like six years minimum. Don't do that at the beginning of a person's stage three. 
toward the end? Yeah, maybe if there's readiness. And if you talk to other people like, hey, and if you talk to that person, um, what are the potential consequences or pitfalls for that person if they are rushed through a stage? And by the way, there is no such thing as rush. It's like painting on or pasting on leg hair on Jonah. What we're doing when we rush somebody in stage three is asking them to be more mature than they're able, which results in some pretending. Yikes. Keep in mind, most adults are in this stage. Okay. We had lots to talk about in stage three. I know that some of this is repeat from last week, but it's so important. It felt like, let's just talk about this a little longer. Let's talk about stage four. Can I just say how glad I am that you are listening to this podcast? For me, this is just fun to make, but it's even more fulfilling when some of you guys occasionally drop me a quick line, letting me know that this has been helpful to you. And that's what I want to talk about for a quick second. If the Leader Lab podcast has been helpful or encouraging or useful for you, then make sure to subscribe. The reason why I'm asking you to subscribe is because it makes the podcast easier for other people to find it. That makes sense, right? And if someone comes to mind while you're listening and you think, man, so-and-so could really benefit from hearing this, then share the love by sharing the podcast. Okay, friends, the long-awaited stage four, right? Hey, FYI, I hope it's clear, but let me just connect some dots. The reason we spent so long in stage three is a couple reasons. One is this is where most adults are. Is this just mind-blowing or is it just me? The fact that most adults are in an adolescent stage of faith. This is weird. The second reason is because we as leaders, people who just love others enough to use our spiritual gifts and we're consistent with people, we can make an impact and help people move past or at least understand what's happening. Where are people? To me, it's a big deal. Okay, but let's talk about stage four. This is a really wide year span compared to the others. The others were a couple years here, maybe six or seven years there as far as a stage. In stage four, the age range is 18 years old to approximately mid-30s. Now, let me just remind you of a couple things. This is a theory. It's not a rule. It's a principle. It's an idea. Remember, it's just a good explanation of what we see happening. It's not hard and fast. But nevertheless, at approximately the ages of a person being 18 years old to about their mid-30s, this is a key feature of what's happening in stage four faith. This person is self-reflecting and critically thinking. See how this is like the adverse of what's happening in stage three? Stage three was a very formal and operational thinking process, meaning not thinking for themselves, but instead absorbing and inheriting the belief systems of others. Not true in stage four. In stage four, the key feature is that the person is now thinking critically and self-reflecting. Remember instead what happened in stage three was a fear of threat, a fear of the inconsistencies of why are there gaps? Why are there uh, contradictions? And what would happen in stage three is the person would choose to ignore because they didn't want to see or they didn't understand what the answers were about the gaps or why they believe something. In stage four, there is full I mean, you're going to say a whole lot of self-reflection. Maybe I shouldn't say full, but there's a whole lot of self-reflection and critical thinking for themselves. Instead of this person relying on the beliefs of the leaders of the church or on the religious organization, that changes in stage four. This person now assumes responsibility for their own beliefs, their own values, and their own behaviors. That's a big switcheroo. This person asks difficult questions and complex questions. Also, this person 
is reshaping their own identity based on this exploration of new ideas. This is really different from just asking questions in stage three and stage four. Of course, people are somewhat asking questions in stage three. That's like a natural part of life. But in stage four, they're getting to the bottom of it. That's the key difference. By the way, some people in stage three will say, well, I'm asking questions. So certainly I'm in stage four. Listen, the goal is not to be like further along in the stages. It's just to be able to solidly identify and settle into where you are and know what to expect. So to me, this is crazy interesting. How does a person move then from stage three to stage four, particularly when so many adults get stuck in stage three? Well, the answer is not fun at all. The transition that's highly typical for an adult moving from stage three faith to stage four faith, a crisis. Yep, something really bad happened a terrible life circumstance that's typically marked by severe suffering has taken place. And think about what happens in that suffering is the trite, easy, somewhat surfacey to whatever extent answers that worked in stage three because of those life circumstances that have just rocked the person's world, they don't suffice anymore and, and they demand an answer. A person will start asking and really searching for real answers in stage four, because whatever happened, the struggle, uh, the suffering warrants, it's like it demands a real answer about who is this God that like took something or took somebody from my life? Why would God let me suffer? Those easy answers of stage three don't, don't cut it. And finally, in stage four, there's less reliance on external authorities, on leaders, on teachers. Remember in stage three, they were like, oh, I listened to this or have you read this like heavy reliance on what other people said. And stage four, it's not that that's gone. There's just less reliance on external voices, external authorities, um, even being accepted by external voices and authorities. Instead, there's an increasing reliance on internal authority because now this person has more solid uh, answers. They're getting to the bottom of things. Of course, they trust themselves and what God's showing them or their intuition more certainly more than they did in stage three. Because there's less influence of the typical voices and authorities of stage three, stage four is not afraid to hear opposing viewpoints. Remember in stage three, that would have kind of rocked somebody's world and kind of automatically made that person bad if they didn't agree. They're, they're bad. You could get into seeing how this would play out when it comes to Calvinism and Arminianism. I remember being in Bible college, probably in early stage three or and hearing that someone was a Calvinist. It was like, oh no, that's so bad. They are bad. Okay. Because it threatened my inability because I was early stage three or to say, would God allow someone to be sent to hell? Uh, never mind. I don't want to know the answer. I'm just going to stick with my, for me, what was a more friendly answer because I could not really wrap my head around very complex things. So that would be an example. But let's take that same example of Calvinism and Arminianism to stage four. A stage four wants to hear and wants to understand someone who thinks differently than, than, than they do, and it's not going to rock their world. It's not going to be a cut and paste answer of that person's just bad, or that person's good because they're on my team. Instead, it's recognizing the beauty at times of nuance, and that doesn't take truth off the table. It's just an ability to absorb where somebody and, and appreciate and respect somebody else's opposing viewpoint without feeling like um, my viewpoints are invalid because somebody else has more of an answer. No. 
or saying my viewpoint is more correct. Nope, it's just saying we're just different pages. Now, one final thing about stage four is this stage fourer often has to distance themselves from, not often, but there can be a distancing of the stage four from maybe a group in stage three. Maybe this person would see hanging out or listening to people or doing life with stage threeers as no longer very authentic and on a different journey. And so at times you'll recognize a distancing from stage threeers so that they could rediscover or go deeper themselves without feeling pressure or um, frustration of stage threeers. So let's do two more. Stage five. This is a person who's in their midlife and beyond. So let's put just pretend numbers. Midlife these days is about 40 and beyond. Remember, this is just a theory. It doesn't mean if you're in your 40s, you're automatically in stage five. Nope. Here are some markers instead. This person's key feature it stems from an awareness of one's own limitations and God's perfection. There's a whole lot of self-criticism. There's a lot of self-reflection. And there's releasing control and being content with not knowing how the thing is going to turn out. It's like, this takes, you can think about it like this, it really takes spiritual maturity and having had a lot of bumps and bruises and hard falls in stages two and three and four to get to stage five of saying, no, I know they're suffering. I've watched it. I've experienced quite a bit of it. And I'm open to believing God's more in control than I am. And boy, does that not only give me peace, but there's a deep joy and satisfaction in the fact that I'm finite and limited and God is not. This, um, I don't have to be a, a stage fiver, doesn't have to be convinced to relinquish control to God. It's become a practice. It's become a muscle that is often flexed, often used. It is unusual for adults to reach this stage before midlife, simply because there hasn't been the experiences of suffering, of adversity, of opposition, of church splits, and watching leader after leader, uh, Christian leader after Christian leader struggle, fail, fall. Uh, and the concept of the person struggle, failing, and falling, and learning time after time after time to be restored to God's grace. It takes so much confidence in the fact that God's got me. I don't have to work this thing out myself. I don't have to overpay God or underpay God when I mess up or when I do really well. There's this recognition and a trust in the character of God that honestly, we know it just takes time to develop that trust. Again, it's unusual, sadly, sadly, for adults to reach this stage before midlife because they just don't have the experiences to do it. Stage six would be this. Uh, it's actually interesting. Where the other stages have a range of years associated with them, that's not true for stage six. There's no typical time frame, but here's what we can understand. If stage five, it's highly unusual for adults to reach that before midlife, let's call those the 40s, then we can say moving to stage six would happen after the 40s or somewhere late 40s or something like that, right? Here's the marking feature. I'm going to read this one verbatim because I just love these words. The key feature for a person in stage six is this. Loss of self-preservation instinct. There's not an instinct anymore to self-protect, self-preserve. Instead, 
that instinct is replaced by fully dedicating all efforts of faith without fear of consequences, even death. I'm going to read that one more time because I know that's a mouthful. Here's the key feature of a stage sixer, which would be the final stage. There's a loss of self-preservation instinct or the loss of the instinct to self-preserve. And instead, it's replaced by fully dedicating all of a person's efforts to their faith without the fear of consequences, even death. Shoo! Here's a couple other things to note. Full commitment to values is observed and demonstrated regardless of whether it benefits or harms the person. In other words, the person is not the point anymore. And let, let's just clarify, the person was absolutely the point in stage one, two, three, four, five. In stage six, it's not about the person. It's about what the person believes about God. If it benefits the person, okay. If it harms the person, okay. It's way more about the kingdom of God moving than it is the person. These people, you'll know them if you see them, they simply stick out in a crowd. There's a recognition, maybe a sense of anointing. That's probably too strong of a word, but sort of put a, a synonym to that. There's a recognition of um, their faith is tried and tested, and yet it still stands. There's wisdom that the person doesn't even have to try to come up with. It just sort of leaks out of them, along with their assurance that God is who he says he is, and their life reflects that. It's not words. That's not a belief system. It's visible by how they live their life. They put it all on the line, and they don't need to brag about it. They certainly don't need to gloat in front of others because it's just not about them anymore. I think it goes without saying, but let's just say it. So few, oh, this is heartbreaking. Mm, so few adults actually reach this stage. My question is like, well, why? And in my opinion, some of the first thoughts come to mind is, I think faith gets hard. The more that there are years particularly of obeying faith, a faith where it's like, God, you could do whatever you want with me. I think the more risks are later in life where there are assets to protect, there's um, children and family and business and careers and submitting to the American dream. And a stage sixer would say those things are... Uh, futile. That's not the end goal. And they would say, Christ alone is the end goal, even at the risk of some of those things. I'm not saying all of them. So I think maybe faith, when you're further along in the stages of faith, I think it's more costly, certainly more risky there's fewer people to do this with. Whereas stage three, you've got a big crowd. Stage four, I think you could find them. For sure, you could find them. Stage five, there's less. And stage six, there's a, because there's so few, perhaps in a local church, there's a loneliness that comes of breaking the mold of stage four and five that um, there's fewer role models fewer demonstrations of this is what it looks like and here's why it's worth it. So I think those are some of the reasons why there are so few adults that reach state six. So I don't know where you are. For me, I would probably say I'm a stage four person where there is self-reflection and critical thinking, assuming responsibility for my own beliefs and values and behaviors. Um, I think sometimes I can touch on or glimpse stage five, but that doesn't mean I'm in it. So, hey, I hope this was useful for you to know where you are and maybe even to answer some of the questions or have uh, not feel like you're going crazy when you're seeing 
people demonstrate their faith in ways that are what they are. Um, and especially as leaders to not rush people or expect, expect too fast of growth than what they're capable of producing. And then certainly to be asking questions and modeling that. I think as leaders, like I've said it probably half a dozen times now, I wonder to what extent we place the glass ceiling on stage three years by not letting curiosity come to the surface through asking questions. So yeah, for me, this has been eye-opening and so helpful for where I'm at and just what you expect in the future and to celebrate what I've come from and be like, no way, there really is spiritual development. I'm not the same spiritually that I was even four years ago. So um, I hope it's been helpful. Super cool. Okay, friends, talk to you soon.